0: My childhood was interesting in that uh, I grew up without a dad and it's interesting that I have such a passion for helping dads because I think that uh, they say your, your grace is your gift. The thing that you had to struggle with so hard is the thing that you end up becoming passionate about. If you can, you know, deal with it and overcome it in a positive way. And so I grew up without a dad and school for me was like the, the one place I had control as a child?
1: Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Okay, so uh, today we've got Alex. Alex. <clears throat> And uh, we've recently connected. I'm excited for this conversation because I've I've been following some of your your work on on Facebook and uh, online. And uh, can you tell us what's going on in your world right now? What are you excited about?
0: Yeah, Joel. uh, Honestly, everything that I love right now is completely blindsided by the arrival of a new baby in our world. So uh, we've got – he's – well, I'm a little sleep-deprived, so – I apologize, but he's three weeks old. There we go. So, Mister Mister Baby Bennett, he's my second son, and uh, his little brother Gabriel is is now like in in the world of of big brotherhood, which is exciting. So, that's that's what's going on in my world right now. You know, my my business is called Defining Dad Bod because the first time I ever struggled with my health and fitness was when my first was born, and now I get to see if I've learned anything the second time around. So.
1: Nice. <laughs> Nice. yeah
0: that's, that's what's going down in our world we're We're waking up every two hours and you know getting baby cuddles and changing lots of diapers and all that.
1: It's pretty full on in those early days
0: yeah yeah you know i don't I don't think I enjoyed them the way that I should have with my first, so having learned that, I'm trying to drink it in a little bit better
1: i know i do I do so many things so differently <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and one one of them is what I wouldn't do, one of the worst things I did was we used to feel entitled to uh, a chill-out and a relax. So once mm. the baby got to bed, you know, you'd know, you stay up a little bit later than maybe we should have. Yeah. You have a glass of wine, you know, and it, and it creeps, you know, the clock creeps later and later, and a sure. glass of wine turns into two glasses of wine, and then you wake up tired and you wonder why.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go to bed at eight thirty now. I don't know. I don't know what time you go to bed, but it's not a ten p.m. thing anymore. It's like eight thirty. All right, let's get him in bed. Let's get us to bed. Yeah, uh, we have a much better day when we do that. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I think it's
1: it puts you more emotionally able to weather the emotional roller coaster.
0: Mm, absolutely. Get, the more sleep you have, the more willpower you have. Actually, just I just covered. You're looking at the show notes for a sleep show. I'm doing. We're gonna <laughs> we're,
1: we're gonna link to this. Definitely gonna link to this. Sleep is critical. <laughs> right, I like
0: feverish, but I, I speak it pretty clearly. Anyway, the better sleep you have, the more willpower you're going to have, and so you're a better dad. You're a better man. You're obviously better equipped to handle your own things that you have to have to handle. So. Uh, anyway, if you're a parent out there and you're struggling with sleep, I'm sorry, but get some. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it. So this tell me more about this to find in talk about then.
0: Yeah, man. It's, it's my business. I've been running it for just over a year. I've been in the fitness industry for 13 years. And I became a personal trainer when I was going to school to become a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, actually. Okay. And when I worked with patients, I found that they didn't want to be there, and doctors didn't like their jobs, or at least here in the States, that's the way it was. So I decided that the personal training business I was running on the side, the people who were happy to pay me to help them change, (laughs) that, uh, that I would help them before they got on the table. So I've been a trainer for 13 years, and then when my son was born, I started struggling with my own health and fitness because there are changes that biologically happen to dad's body when a baby's born. Nobody talks about it, but there's research. And so I wanted to uh, shine a spotlight on that and help guys get into great shape because I believe that if we're in good health and we have great energy and we're excited to wake up every morning, that we're going to be much better dads to our kids. So uh, that's been the, the core of my business. And, and Defining DadBot is about helping to create a, uh, a legacy of health and fitness for our kids. That's fantastic. Yeah, I
1: know. I know my shape certainly changed when my children were born.
0: Yeah, yeah. What the they say the dad bod, you know, like the beer belly and the and the balding yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, well, you got the bald down. <laughs> I got, <laughs> I got that going on full time. Right? Full, full time. I got a I got a receding hairline, but I'm not bald yet. Uh the 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 dad bod biologically is a decrease in testosterone, a decrease in serotonin, and an increase in estrogen. As soon as the baby's born, all that happens within a week. And then it takes about four years before you come back to your normal testosterone. And so there's a cascade of effects with that. You know, you lose muscle mass, you gain fat mass, you start craving carbs. And I call it the bourbon and brownies diet. You know, you really want, you want really want whiskey and sweets, you know, uh, and and that has everything to do with the the change in the neurotransmitter, the change in the hormones and stuff. So it, nobody talks about this, but it's a robust study. Over 10,000 people studied it in the Philippines that saw this, saw this happen and there have been other subsequent studies thereafter. And so there's a biological basis for dad bod. And now here's the kicker. If you know that though, you get to make a decision about what your body's going to be. Are you going to go, all right, biology, you win. I'm going to, I'm going to have the belly and the baldness. Got it. <laughs> or yeah. you can say, I know this stuff and now what am I going to do about it and am, am I going to show my kids a different way of doing their nutrition or am I going to show my kids a different way to do their exercise am I going to show them a more energetic and vivacious version of dad or you know am I going to be sitting on the on the playground scrolling through my phone because I don't have any energy and I'm going to let them do it you know so I've been there oh my
1: god and, so ashamed <laughs> uh,
0: well, sorry sorry to stomp your toes I, I've been there too though that's what I'm saying well, I started defunding dad Bob, because you know I, I was like what is wrong with me this isn't me this isn't the dad I want to be you know no. so that's uh anyway that's that's the whole gist
1: that's cool man because yeah this message super super important and so mm-hmm. needs to be put out there yeah 100% behind you um yeah because like you said I can remember being in the playground and being knackered from running around less than five minutes and thinking I need a breast and <laughs> And and me wanting change for myself come about to me realizing if I needed to be there for my children running around, then I needed to do something. So it's that point of where self-awareness kicks in enough for you to want to do
0: something, you know? Absolutely. And then when you watch them do everything you do. Oh yeah. You're like, you realize that either you figure out your struggles now Mm or you pass that shit on. Yeah. So either we figure it out for ourselves now, or this is going to be a problem my son's going to have to figure out. So that's, and it's inherent, you know, it's, it's, they, they, they watch what you do and they say what you say. And so, you know, what you eat and how you exercise and how energetic you are and how often you're on your phone and all that stuff, like they pick up on that. And that's a battle they'll either have to fight later or you get to fight it now.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um uh, we've noticed that we got we, I got three children, uh, 13, but they're both 13 at the moment. One's about two weeks away from 14. Mm. Uh, and then a young one who's six. Mm. But you're so right. They never, they don't listen to the words you say. It's the actions you do.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, but it's mad because you can go like, cause we're, we're trying to do the, like the podcast thing and my wife's running a side business. A certain time of night is where we, like, we got to get our stuff done. Uh, usually when the kids are in bed, but obviously yeah. they're seeing that, and they're seeing that late night computer, phone, and everything else, mm. and then they try and relate that to themselves, which means social media, blah blah blah,
0: right?
1: Or gaming. But then it's like trying to put into context. Well, hang on a minute, now, we're not just wasting our time here. This,
0: is, right.
1: this is this is construct. This is constructive for our future. You know,
0: <laughs> this is how we pay for the house, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but I've
1: also noticed that it's not how quick, it can kick in. If you start doing healthy habits, like with training or whatever, it doesn't take long. like It doesn't take very many weeks for them to realize something's different. Mm. And then they start to mimic. And then they're like, oh, can I come? Oh, can we do this? Can we do that? Like tonight, they started working on the bikes at the back. Um, working on my bike, fixing the brakes. I fixed my bike, started on my boy's scooter. The next thing you know, my daughter's out. Can, I, can you get my bike out? She hasn't on a, been on a bike for about five years. I think you know, it's just the same night, like. And then my boy, my eldest boy, was out on his bike. So yeah, you're right. Actions speak so much louder than words.
0: Sounds like they're going to drag you along soon, Dad. Well, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> if I can keep up, I'll be right. <laughs> I love it. Cool, man. Okay,
1: so obviously, um, you haven't always been this self aware and this knowledgeable. So let's, can we go step back a little bit in time to maybe when you were in school? Um, Can you maybe tell us some stories that come to mind from when you were in school?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, how much time you got, (laughs) 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 you know, my, my childhood was interesting in that uh, I grew up without a dad and it's interesting that I have such a passion for helping dads because I think that uh, they say your your grace is your gift. The thing yeah. that you had to struggle with so hard is the thing that you end up becoming passionate about if you can, you know, deal with it and overcome it in a positive way. And so I grew up without a dad and school for me was like the the one place I had control as a child. I think when when things were tough, you know, when, when we were living in a impoverished household. And, you know, mom wasn't real happy. because It's kind of hard to raise four kids on your own. And, oh. uh, you know, lots of stuff going on kind of at home. So I went to school, I always felt uh, really well equipped to not only handle school, but I felt a, a sense of responsibility, like what I do here matters. And this okay. is the only place in my world that I have any control over, if that makes sense. And I, I felt that really young, man, maybe like, first, second, third grade, but I got in trouble all the time. Okay. I was the smart kid who got his work done. And then I, I just, I was bored. So <laughs> what are you going to do? So I, uh, I remember I was in, I was in seventh grade. I was in art class and the art teacher, I, I hated art. I wasn't any good at art. And the reason I hated art is because what I see in my head, I can't make happen on paper. I don't have the Okay. You know, I'm like, I'm, you you don't get it. What what I just drew looks so good in my head. But this looks like some kid like that, like spit it out, you know. So art wasn't my thing. I I prefer words over over drawings. Anyway, so I hated art. And I did her little thing, I think we we're scratching off. It was like it was like a black paper and you had to scratch off a tiger or something. With oh yeah. A, I I don't I don't know. I don't a know what you kit. call that. What's that? A foil kit. Okay, there you go. Exactly. It, and it looked cool. It looked really cool. In fact, as far as art goes, that was fun. So I got this done, you know, kind of sp- and then, then the real fun began because I had a desk full of papers that I needed to organize. I hate giant stacks of papers that, you know, so they got there. And so I started making paper airplanes out of them and flying them into the trash can because that's art, Right. Like that's aerodynamics physics plus, you know, like so I designed these cool paper airplanes and I'm having a grand old time. Um uh, and she was I could do this because she had left the room. I don't know what teachers do when they're not in the room. But so she comes back and I've got I've got all my friends flying paper airplanes into this garbage and we're trying to get it like from across the room, right? Like just like who who can fly into the paper basket from you know 30 feet away anyway so i got sent to uh, in school suspension anyway that was that was party uh, so <laughs> there's that but you know i got in trouble a lot because i was always done with my work early and yeah. so uh, many of my stories of you know get in trouble for talking to the cute girl next to you and all that have to do with i was done with my work like what else am i gonna do hey cutie like <laughs> yeah, no, yeah it's cool uh, one one other story I'll I'll share and then I'll throw it back at you. I guess I um, <laughs> I learned how to climb the side of the school during recess, but you yeah. get it out outside of where the teachers couldn't see you. You know, <laughs> so so I I, I it still today, still today there are kids who go to the school who will post pictures on top of the roof, <laughs> and, like they don't know that I'm the one who started that. Like <laughs> I, started, I started that <laughs> when I went to school. <laughs> so, uh. Anyway, that that those are my legacies, right? Paper airplanes and, and cool.
1: Yeah, that that's pretty good going to get an entire class slinging airplanes, especially to make a good enough airplane to go that far and that's Right.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was great. And it, here's the kicker: it, 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 several years later in college, I'm paying a large amount of money to go to Vanderbilt University. In one of my engineering classes, as our midterm, we had to build a paper airplane, <laughs> and it had to go far enough that like that your grade was based on how far it could fly from the second oh, story. So I was set, man. I was like, <laughs> I was like, guys, I got this. Like, show <laughs> you how this works. That's so brilliant. it paid off, I guess. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> cool, man. I like that. So yeah. So, so you were, in, uh, you had no, no struggles in school in, in, in terms of uh, understanding. So it was just like, you were you were probably ahead of your, your year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They moved me forward a year. I still got in trouble. And then I graduated <laughs> by Victorian. Um, so, I mean, it, it was kind of like a big, like, like ha I got in trouble a lot, but I'm at the top, baby. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I did a show recently on, on Defining Dad, but one of the things I'm doing is a series called Exercise in the Brain. And so I tell a few stories from my childhood about ADHD, because exercise has a huge part to play. And being an outlet for the troublemaking kids who just can't sit down and shut up. <laughs> just, yeah. That was my problem. I couldn't sit down and shut up. Uh, and, and come to find out, that's not really it's not a problem necessarily. You need some outlets for all of that energy and, and whatnot. And so in that show, I'm talking about the, the effects of exercise and activity on a child's brain. Right. as well as an adult's brain to help inattention and impulsivity and whatnot. So that I wish somebody would have known that when I was a kid. Like, would have, like. hey, this kid just needs more recess time instead of doc- – that was the thing. I'd get in trouble, and then they'd take my recess time away. You know what you should do to a kid who's, like, buzzing with energy and can't sit still? Make them run for a while. Like, go out there, You know, throw some rocks at birds and run around the track and play tag and stuff. And then when you come back and you're wore out, we'll try to teach you something. That's actually what the research says is the best way to do things. Uh, but I got my recess time taken away, so I got in more trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's uh, It seems like a no-brainer when you think of it in our respect, doesn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know your kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's
1: what I do. I mean, if they it, if it pent up and I try and get them out, mm-hmm. I, I don't keep them in.
0: <laughs> yeah, my mom kicked us out of the house. Hey, go outside. Why? Don't worry about it. I'll let you know when you come back. <laughs>
1: I know. I know. It's Things have changed. Things mm. have changed quite a lot. Oh, cool. Okay. <clears throat> so um, recalling how you were when you were younger, um, you might have touched on it already in a little bit. What lessons do you think took you longest to learn?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll say two, because I could talk about that for a while, too. I think one of the lessons that took me a long time to learn and and this is a philosophical thing. Uh, Carl Jung talks about it. Uh, Carl Rogers talks about it. Nietzsche talks about it. it. It's the idea that in order to become the fullest version of yourself, you have to go back to your childhood and find what you lost. And then that that thing that you lost, or the the part of you that you lost, or maybe some qualities that you lost, you get to bring that back into your adulthood. So uh, an example of that is is that that hyperactive, energetic kid. I can see him in my three-year-old, like I can, Mm. I see him every day, you know, like, ah, that's, that was me (laughs) like way back there. But to, to discipline myself and to learn what I needed to learn and to, to grow into an adult, that like impulsive, energetic, all over the place kid, he had to figure it out, man. He had to figure out how to sit down and shut up and listen and read and learn and, and control his impulses and all those things. And then you enter adulthood and your kid's born, and you realize, like, not as much fun as I used to be, the world's not quite as bright as it used to be, you know, like, why, why is he so full of life, and I'm old, and I'm not old, I'm pretty young by most standards, but, but you look at that, and you're like, man, what's missing, what have I lost, and some people go into, like, crazy existential crisis, about they get, like, depressed, and they got to take medications, and if you're on medications, I'm not, I'm not dissing you, but, but some people have a really hard time with this, but, you have to go back into your childhood and you have to realize why did you have to buckle down? What is it that you lost? And that little kid is still in there. Like, and and it's really cool to watch how my son brings that out of me, you know? And so I, I make every effort to make sure, Hey, I get, I get done with work at a certain time when he and I get to play together, no distractions, put the stupid phone away, like, like really just, just we're there, you know, and he gets to bring that out of me. And, and, and I, I think that's a lesson from my childhood that took me freaking 30 years to figure out, dude. Like it's like that, that part of you that you, that has to the inner child that has to adult at some point, you know, pay your bills, go to bed on time, you know, don't go to too many parties, whatever that part of you, like, that's great. Gets you into adulthood, gets you where you can create a stable household for your kids, but don't let your hair down sometimes, man. And and bring that kid back because our kids need to see that. So I'd say that that's one big thing.
1: I like that. I think well said there because uh, yeah, when I went through my uh, existential crisis, uh, that's that's one of the things I I was aware of. I was aware that time was running out, and I was also aware my life and my family life was not the way I had originally envisaged it. Mm. Um, and I was exactly like you just said. I I was looking at it thinking, what's the point? I'm, I felt boring, you know. Life felt, I love my kids, but I didn't love what we had. Mm. Do you know what I mean, it wasn't particularly exciting or, but then through all those awarenesses comes um, a decision which needs to be made whether you're going to keep going the way you're going or you're going to change.
0: Mm.
1: So I chose to change. And uh, the best thing that ever happened to me was going through it because it's, it's brought me to where I am currently. And right now I feel. I'm passionate about things. I'm passionate about exercising my kids and getting my kids into exercise and traveling. And do you know what I mean it's like same person, same world, same life, just shifting perspective.
0: Mm.
1: And this, uh, well <laughs> okay. Well um, so fast forward a few years uh, now. From I don't know what age were we there when you were um, in school to a time of great change in your life. Uh, what stories and emotions does that evoke for you?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I could I could either pinpoint I I was married I call it my practice marriage I was married for two years and then divorced before being married to my now wife and then that was a deep time of of a lot of change and then I could also talk about the becoming a dad thing because you you know as well as I do. Holding that little baby. Actually, it's more like two weeks of sleep deprivation. And then you're like, man, life's different. And I can't put you back. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But but I, you know, I haven't spoken. I I speak on a few different podcasts and I haven't had the opportunity to talk about uh, those feelings and emotions that, that shifted the first marriage and into the, the life I have with, with my second marriage. So if you don't mind, I'm going to dive into that for a second. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know. I uh, I came from a, again, a family with, with no father, but one of the things that was, I, I think it was important to my family to have a deep religious like foundation and underpinning. I don't know how my mom would have done it if she didn't have God to talk to. <laughs> I, don't yeah. know, I, don't, I don't know how you raise four kids on your own without that. If somebody has a way, let me know. But, you know, it was a really deep part of my upbringing. But one of the things you learn in the the religious western tradition is divorce is bad By no never divorce don't ever do it it's bad you're an awful horrible person who's going to go to hell and you know like <laughs> so i had a really weird relationship with divorce and sex and all of the all the stuff that's like wrapped up in the relationship process and I, i'll never forget I, i've been married for two years to this woman who like for lack of a better way to put it she was a black hole Okay. You know, you like, if you don't tell your kids this, please tell them, I'm going to tell mine falling in love like that, that crazy, like six month or one year long feeling falling. You don't have any control who, who you fall in love with. And it doesn't mean they're the right person to spend the rest of your life with and to have babies with. All right. Like, No. it makes you blind to their imperfections. Nobody told me that. I had no idea. I grew up without a dad, you know. I I never saw my mom in relationships. So, man, the first girl that I was like head over heels for, I'm like I'm marrying that girl. I like put a ring on her finger and and married her and and then like 2 years later I'm like what have I done? Like I'm I'm married to a child basically. Like she's she wasn't a child. She was of age, but like mentally, spiritually you know, like a child, and you know, I, I felt like I was trying to run, and and I was I was being pulled back, you know, and in in a, a really a relationship between two people that's going to be productive and powerful and worth bringing children into, or it's like two stars, right? Get get astrophysics with me here for a second. It's like two stars, and they revolve around each other. This happens in the universe really often, right? They revolve around each other. And they get closer and closer and closer in the stars because of the energy they're putting off and the energy that's created between them revolving. gets brighter and brighter. That, in my mind, is the perfect picture of a good relationship. Two people, separate lives with great fires burning inside that get closer and closer. And because they're close, the world is a brighter place. Right. I was married to a black hole. And maybe I was a black hole myself, I don't know. But what a black hole does is it revolves around a star and sucks away everything that's bright about it <laughs> over a period of time. And so after two years, man, I'm I'll never forget, I was in St. Lucia. It's, a, it's supposed to be the most romantic place on earth, okay? St. Lucia is a little island in the Caribbean. We took a trip there. Uh and I'm and I'm miserable. I'm with this person and I'm miserable. I'm like, what? what have I done? Like, this is terrible. <laughs> and, and I'm standing on the edge, but no divorce can't do that. And, and I remember I'm like watching the waves beat against the shoreline, just like just the Pacific ocean. I'd never seen the ocean in my life. Like the Pacific ocean is like beating against the, the shore and you know, the Caribbean over here, it's like super chill, you know, maximum chill, man. That's what they say in the Caribbean, maximum chill. Here yeah, on the Pacific side, there's no maximum chill over there. That ocean is just like, grinding into the granite, like, cliffside, okay? And I'm, I'm standing there, and watching these waves, and something in me says, this has been here and will be here long after you're gone. And if you're going to make an impact in this world, it's not going to be with that girl. And it was like, <sighs> like... Where did that come from? I don't... God. <laughs> I, I, I don't... I don't know how else to attribute something like, how do you discover something inside of yourself that you didn't know was there? Right. So wherever it came from, thanks man. Like that, it it changed everything. It changed everything. I, I ended that relationship. I, I couldn't be more happy and, and excited about the, the woman I get to spend my life with because she was there after, after all that was over with, you know, and, uh, I'm so glad that my boys have her as a mom instead of, you know, the person who shall remain unnamed. So uh, that, that being said, you know, that in my life, that was a monumental shift in change. And, and what I learned from it was it's important for me in, in passing on traditions to my children, you know, for instance, the religious divorce is bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Passing traditions on to my children. It's important for them to understand that their journey is, is their own journey. And that if I have anything to teach from my journey, I need to get it out to them, man. I need to get it out to them. Actually to that end, I have on my computer, I have a file for each of my boys because they're little. I've got a three week old and a three year old, you know, you can't say, all right, bud, let me tell you about who you should marry. Can't do that. (laughs) So, So when I think of that stuff, actually write it down now. So I've got, there it's a word document. I just add to it, you know, when things come to mind, Hey, let me tell you about why I'm not married to that, that person anymore. And why, why I'm married to your mom. So I I tell them those things and and someday I'll give it to them. But right now it's just, it's just compiling. And uh, I think that's something I learned from, from standing on that shoreline. It's like, man, I wish somebody would have grabbed me before I married this girl and said, Hey dude, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) have you even thought about bringing kids into this relationship? Are you crazy?" Uh, but nobody did that. And so now I'm going to do that.
1: <laughs> I, yes, cool, man. I mean, do you know what? If, if somebody had a grabbed you and shook you and punched you in the face a few times, you probably still wouldn't have listened.
0: Probably not. That's, you know? that's the thing, you know, stubborn, hard-headed. Got to Sometimes you just got to learn your lessons the hard way, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, just imagine for all the things that have to line up for you to see that rock, that granite, that, those waves pounding, and mm-hmm. then for you to have the epiphany that you did. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you you have to be so open and so ready for that change to mm. come. It, it's, yeah, yeah. That's the and,
0: and then let's say let's say I didn't get I didn't marry that person and we had ended our relationship before. I don't know that I would have been in the state to rebuild that I needed to be in order to become the man I am for my wife now if that makes any sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of yeah. Yeah. I just completely agree with what you just said. I think it was awesome. Um, yeah. And, and, and oddly, it seems to be a lot of people out there right now, the ones that I'm <clears throat> not podcasting with, but people that reach out They're looking for you, you mentioned about being uh, your ex-partner being a, like ch- a child. There seems to be a lot of young, uh, middle-aged men who require permission. So they've never like, almost like they've never come to the point of becoming a, a man. Now, mm. I, I'm not sure why this is. I don't know if it's because we've lost the manhood tradition or what. There's a there's a book I read on it, which seems pretty clued up. <laughs> you know, but like the, the the rites of passage it seems to have gone. You know, mm. so it's uh it's an interesting one because once as as a coach, as you know yourself, as you facilitate change with people, a lot of times it's you 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 give them permission to do what they know they need to do. Mm. Do you find that with your coaching as well, though?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's in the age of information. Very few times do we not know what we should do. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think Paul said it in the new Testament. He didn't even have Google, right? He He's like, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I do. What's wrong with me? Basically that's a rough translation of the, of the uh, Greek. But the, the point is, when you when in, in a coaching business, it's almost like you're the angel on the shoulder that gives people permission and and a voice to their conscious desire to change. And, and when, and whatever the reason is, you know, some of my clients will say, Hey, I just wanted to be able to tell you I did a good job. So there's accountability, right? Or wow, I was motivated and inspired by your story. So I changed things. Like there's a motivational and aspirational in it. What am I trying to say? Inspirational aspect to that. There we go. That's sleep deprivation talk. <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> uh, and, and then for for other people, though, uh, I call it the coaching trump card. You know, in, in my business, I'll get people who say things like, you know, I just I can't. Uh, yeah, I went out with friends and I know I'm not supposed to have too much alcohol right now because I'm trying to you know lose fat. But but I had like four drinks. Like, OK, why'd you do that? Well, you know, you had one drink and so you, you know, get a little dumber and you drink another drink. And by then you're like, no holds barred, free drinks on us, you know, <laughs> have a few more drinks. And, and so you wake up the next morning and you tell your trainer, like, ah, I failed again. Like, come on, man. And so, so you ask, like, why'd you do that? And, and people can't tell you why. They have no idea. Like, why'd you do that? This is, this is an important goal for you. And you literally did something consciously. That you know is not helping this goal at all. Why'd you do it? It's like asking your three year old when they do something like ridiculously impulsive. You're like, why'd you do that? And they're like, uh, I don't know how your three year old that de- mine makes up stuff like stuff up. And it's just the funniest. Like, why'd you do that? Well, because, um, because, uh, because you, you, you didn't want me to do that. You're like, no, I didn't. <laughs> like, why did you do that? You didn't think you weren't paying attention. There's a number of reasons, right? So, so it's like asking a three year old. But if you, ask the, if you ask them, okay, hey, I need to imagine your daughter in your position right now. I need you to imagine your son in your position right now. What would you tell them? Like, what do you want for them? What would you tell them about their actions? How would you coach them about what it is that you want for them, right? Because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson. Is, uh, yeah. Rule number two is treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping and and that says it really well cuz i've been pulling this trump card in coaching for years when you ask somebody imagine that was your kid what would you tell them and and when people can step away from themselves like that and treat them like they treat their kids mm. man they get they get kind they get intelligent they get gracious they get inspiring like yeah. like oh, what like man that's a good question i don't know if i had a parent talking to to that version of me right now what would they say and so yeah I, I find in in coaching that oftentimes you're teaching people to parent themselves, yes. that might be a good way to put it.
1: yeah, yeah, no, that's good that's that's exactly what I say to my usually of, of my two my eldest two is my eldest son, so i I'll, I'll run that if you had a son right now and he just done what you just did, how would you deal with it?
0: That's important. His frontal lobes are developing. If you throw down the hammer right now, he's probably just going to shake his horns at you. You know, like,
1: <laughs> but, Dude, but you're like, hey, yeah.
0: you're, you're so smart. How would you deal with this?
1: <laughs> you, you're so right there. I mean, it's, uh, it can easily um, – th- one of the greatest things I, I ever learned, um, and, I, and I tell everybody I can this one, is E plus R equals O. So the event plus the response equals the outcome. So you got to go to the end of the uh, equation first to understand the outcome you want so you can moderate your response to the event.
0: Mm.
1: And once I become aware of that, it set me free with my son. Um, it, it wasn't overnight and it was work in practice and it's still work sure. in practice because sure. we're, we're emotional beings, you know? So um yeah, but just being able to free myself and understand that if, if I regulate how I present to him and define out, uh, how he responds... It changes everything. And it's
0: really conscious of you too, because a a lot of parents are responding in the moment. So it's like a reaction, you know, Yeah. and then they just feel bad about it. You're like, ah, that wasn't right. But you can't even put your finger on why it's wrong. It's just like, I didn't like that. I acted that way. And if you're really conscious, you might even say you're sorry. Hey, sorry, daddy sucks right now. Like, don't know why (laughs) daddy has bad days too. Right. (laughs) But, but when you when you can say hey this was the outcome of that whole deal but this is how I like things to go and you can even paint that picture for your kid like hey man this is why this matters to me does that matter to you too cool how <laughs> how are we going to do this differently next time you know yeah. like like that thing happens i hope this is what comes of it like what what's the r i like yeah. that that's a good equation
1: yeah I got I got to attribute that to my friend uh, Nick Danado. So, uh, (laughs) thank you, Nick. Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. So, if if life was to be happening uh, for you and not to you, what lesson were you gifted?
0: Mm. That's I have a complicated relationship with that question because so in my line of work, in the health and fitness world, no adaptation comes without strain. So like an exercise, if it's easy, then it's not exercise. Like if, if it's like, yeah. oh yeah, I love exercise. I go for a walk all the time. That's not exercise. That's activity. When When we talk exercise, exercise is a stress that elicits a positive biological response. So it's something that's hard enough that doesn't kill you but makes you stronger is the layman's way of putting it, right? Yeah. So my life, I feel like, is a living example of that truth. And so to be given a truth that says that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger and to live that out and find beauty in that is, uh, I mean, I guess it's a double-edged sword. Like life doesn't happen to you in that question. It happens for you. But but life happening to me is where the gift comes from. The struggle is real, but it's good, so to speak. Uh, To illustrate that, I have a, I have a genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos, and I didn't know about it until I was like 25 years old. All I knew is that my joints popped out of place a lot. So my my ankle's been dislocated before. My shoulders have been dislocated. I tore a hip flexor because it, it dislocated while I was running track. I've always been a really active guy, right? But I've dealt with a massive amount of pain and injury in my life for no reason. Like, just, it seemed like no reason. Like, why is everybody else doing this stuff? and not getting hurt. What's wrong with me? Uh, It turns out I have a genetic disorder. My mom was eventually diagnosed. She had chronic pain for a long time. She was eventually diagnosed. And then uh, I was eventually diagnosed and it's a deficiency in collagen production. So my tendons and ligaments aren't as tight as they should be. They should be like Kevlar, holding everything in place, but they're more like gummy bears and (laughs) joints go everywhere. So so my, my health and fitness journey has been punctuated by, hey, you're injured again. Are you going to be active anyway? Are you going to rehab yourself out of this? You're like in pain. You're jumping around on one foot. You're 20 years old uh, and you feel like you're 80. Are you going to the gym today? And then what are you going to do while you're there? You can barely walk. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, so it's like a, my, my whole life seems to be, for me, a, a, a gift in the lessons of overcoming a gift in the lessons of, of finding positive adaptation in the struggle. So that's a long answer to a short question, but that's how it feels.
1: I think you nailed it in the last two sentences then. And I think that's it's a fantastic, that's a fan. No, it's a fantastic place to be. You know, it's uh, it's where I hope the audience will get to when they listen to these shows. This is, this is the message I want to convey exactly what you just said, you know, it's, and that, and that is about, perspective and and how you perceive the world in your life
0: Mm. well i think that's one of the reasons i've found so much uh uh, so much depth in jordan peterson's work and a lot of the works that he references in his stuff because his his core message if i don't want to speak for him but what i gather from his core message is that the meaning in your life is found when you take responsibility the biggest responsibility that you can and you hoist that cross on your shoulder and you walk up the hill like that, that right there, the biggest burden you can carry <laughs> and and what changes inside of you on the, on that journey. That's the, uh, that's the core, I think for, for myself, I think that's been a, a big part of my story and I didn't have him to talk about it, you know, 20 years ago. So that's just life.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, you're spot on. I mean, I'm, I'm 44 now. And i like probably 41 when I sort of started to wake up to all this. Um, I was doing reading years before, but never to the point where I wanted to um, or knew what to do about it. And then there come a point where I just realized I was making life too hard. I was—I seemed to be making things far too difficult than they needed to be.
0: Mm.
1: And if, if it hadn't come to that point where I eventually sought help as I become aware that the, the battle was mostly in my head mostly with myself <laughs> and the way that I was seeing things and interpreting, interpreting things. I think one of the most common phrases out of my mouth back then, which oddly enough I was thinking about the other day and I don't say it anymore. is it's not fair. <laughs> I, I don't, that's gone. I don't even use that concept anymore. I mean, mm. there's probably times where it would apply, but I just don't tend to use it. I mean, I just, if I can, I own everything. Even, if, even if it's not my fault to a degree, I'll I'll see what part that I have to play in it. I'll own that, and if I can't do nothing, you know, it, it, I'll do I'll pull right where I can put right, and then move on. Mm. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not fair. And god, victim mindset, full on. Do you know what I mean? And it's it drains you. And I think that's what it, that's what got me to the point where I was. You mentioned earlier on about depression. I was depressed. I was. I took medication. I took medication, turned into a zombie um, to the point where I was probably struggling to function around my kids. But I was aware enough at the time to realize something's wrong. And then I went back to the doctor and I said, I can't do this. He said, well, you've got a couple of weeks. He said, we'll wean you off. He said, you, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise. He said, I said, I get myself up this." I said, I'm not taking tablets for the rest of my life. And then that, that was, that was the start and sort of start of the journey. And, Never really stops in, then to be honest. I love that. It.
0: Uh, this is like <laughs> high you across the ocean. <laughs> yeah,
1: so yeah. But uh, okay. Anyway, um, so you sort of you touched on an, my next question, which was how do you deal and view obstacles in life? Um, would you like to just touch on that? I know you sort of answered it with the last question. Yeah. Maybe just if sometimes people need to hear things in different ways and over and
0: sure. over. Just a bang yeah, it. I, I have two things to say to that. I, one, I had a guy on my show eight months ago. His name's Mark Cordon, and we had an interesting conversation about positivity psychology. Which actually, I thought at first bringing him on the show, I'm like, I don't know, this might be a really hokey conversation, you know, like positivity psychology, just feel better, man. <laughs> uh, but one of the, one of the things that we talked about was actually a really cool conversation. One of the things we talked about was the when you approach an obstacle in life, that there's an element of, of a decision that's made even before you start to try to deal with it. So the the picture we came up with was like, imagine you're going on a hike. Okay. I like to hike. We had mountains in Colorado Springs where I used to live in. That. Oh man. I can go out there and lose myself for a whole day. So I like to hike. You imagine you're going on a hike, right? And and you, you've got your beef jerky and your backpack and your keys to your car and your, your let's say, the extra battery for your phone because hiking with music is cool. And so you're, you're like, you're walking down this path and then you come to this like big giant boulder wall it obstructing your path, right? And it's just there. And you're like, well. And so, so you have this big obstacle, right? And you can either, you can either go, well, I guess it was a good hike. I'm going home, right? Or you look at it and you start like sizing it up. Like maybe I can climb up there. Maybe I can, maybe I can uh, find a way around it. Maybe like this doesn't have to be the end of the hike. It's just a, and, and so in that moment, <laughs> you, you you can start to climb and then you can still like turn around and go home cause it gets hard, right? Or, and this is what Mark and I talked about, and I don't know why, but it just it just hit me hard. It was like, that's what you do. That's what you do in life. You look at the big giant wall in front of you. You take off your backpack and you chuck it over the wall. Your, your keys and your beef jerky are in there, bro. <laughs> now you got to climb the wall. Now you've got to find some way over there because you're not going home without the backpack, right? And so we, we were talking about how, like, sometimes there are obstacles in life that, like seem too big. And you just have like, you just have to give yourself no option anymore. Like, I don't know how to do that <laughs> for every single person, but that picture of checking your backpack over the wall. And here's the thing you get over the wall, right? You get your backpack, you snack on your beef jerky, charge your phone. And then the next time you see a wall that size, you don't even blink. You just climb it. Like, cause you've been there. You know what that's like. It's not yeah. a big deal. It's not even an obstacle anymore. Right. And in that way, I think, the the human mind and body and and the way our genetics uh respond epigenetically to the actions we take and actually unlock new parts of us when we when we expose ourselves to challenges in that way i think if humanity has a superpower it's that one it's the it's the superpower to continually become able to overcome larger and larger obstacles and mm. so Uh, I think just the second piece of that, interestingly, so I have Ehlers-Danlos. I have this genetic disorder that says, hey, don't do anything high impact. You might pop bones out of joint, and you're going to be in pain a lot, so you should take pills and lay on the couch and rot away. That's basically the prognosis for this disease, by the way, because you can't cure it. You're just like, ow, and they give you pain pills, and you get more and more addicted, So, uh, which is actually a prognosis for a lot of pain disorders, which really sucks. (laughs) but so so my fitness goal for me is to compete on the american ninja warrior show are you familiar with that show oh nice man like if there's anything that's literally the opposite of (laughs) healers danlos like that's the thing man that's the that's that's literally obstacles and i think i love that that show and the idea of of i'm training for it I, i hope to compete i've i've put my application in four years in a row and haven't gotten there yet, but I'm going to figure them out, man. Uh, but competing on that show is, it's like a, it's like an external, it's an external picture of what dealing with obstacles inside actually are. Like you're hanging on a bar, like you got to climb up the thing and you got to run up the work wall and you, you didn't get it this year. So next year, you better have trained every day of the last 365 Yeah to deal with the wall. And uh I think for, for me that's I think those two pictures for me best explain how I approach obstacles. Throw my wow. backpack over the wall and then find the biggest dang obstacle course and train for it.
1: <laughs> I like it. No yeah it's uh so you're you're heading uh straight on no no uh, no excuses. I love it. The obstacle oh, is that oh, sorry, oh, there's a book, isn't it? the obstacle is the way?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a good yeah. book. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so can you tell me a story about something that has amazed you?
0: I'm trying to decide if I want to cry on camera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my, uh, my sister, uh, my sister is two and a half years younger than me. So we, we grew up together. She was my shadow. It was cute. When, when we were little, my mom told me that I was so excited to have a baby sister. And then after she got here, I was like, can we put her back? Like, <laughs> cause that's two and a half year old things. Can we put her back in there? <laughs> I didn't like her here. I w I was the center of attention. Anyway, we, we've been really close. And so, uh, three years ago, her daughter, one years old was, uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. So she's a one-year-old little baby with a brain tumor, and I'm I'm not going to get super teary-eyed here, but she died. It it was an awful six-month process of chemo and radiation and experimental uh, things, and in like man, cancer sucks. Mm-hmm. But watching a one-year-old go through that, like man, I can't uh, so. <laughs> so I I I was broken by this man like you don't you don't even know what what kind of existential crisis you can have until you go like what kind of universe do we live in what kind of god could allow a one-year-old to die right so I uh I took that up with him upstairs uh and I in old biblical fashion I didn't eat anything for 5 days and I went into the mountains hiking. So my wife was like, "You're acting really weird." I'm like, "I haven't eaten in a long time." She's like, "Here's breakfast." I'm like, "I don't want it." Like, I'm gonna, f- I need to have some peace with this. I need to understand, like, what the heck, you know? So, I, I went out into the mountains and I was pissed. Like, I was ang- I don't know. I don't know if you ever pray that way or write that way or talk that way, but I was like mad at the at everything. Like, just like, how can this happen? This terrible thing happen and I'm running all right like I'm running up a mountain that's I was just I was I'm gonna run I'm either gonna die or something's gonna happen you know I came expecting to have some sort of closure to this or die in the process right I I don't know how else to put it but that's where I was right so I'm running in this mountain I'm I am smoked dude I have nothing in my stomach my blood sugar is garbage like I'm tired I'm seeing spots like and uh, I come to this part in this, uh, this canyon in, in the trail that I'm, I'm walking on. I come to this part and it's sunny. It's like 60 degrees. All right. But it had just, it had snowed a week ago. And because of the way this canyon was shaped, you come from 60 degrees, shirt off, beautiful weather. And, and all of a sudden you're in like a winter wonderland. Okay. Cause the sun can't hit it. It's just like, got, I, I took a picture of it. It's like, it, this frozen stream in like snowflakes and just beautiful, pure white, like, and man, it hit me in the face, like a ton of bricks. I don't know if I had a vision. I don't know. if God spoke to literally my face, but like, I, I stood there and I cried like a baby, like just cried because the picture in my head was the one year old not suffering anymore. Her name's Izzy. Um, Izzy wasn't suffering anymore. She was in this beautiful white place with, uh, with stars around her and and she was happy and she was talking to her, um, talking to other little friends in the the children's cancer ward. (laughs) Mm. Like, and, and she wasn't in pain anymore. And, and the, the words were uh, better is one day in your courts than a thousand years elsewhere. And dude, that's, that's, Duck in my heart forever (laughs) this poor little girl going through that and i don't know why that stuff happens i don't know what kind of god could let that kind of stuff happen but i do know that there was a lot of beauty in the situation that my sister raised an immense amount of money for other kids going through cancer stuff like uh, we have a big heart in our family now for supporting families who are going through that kind of stuff and uh there's there's some sort of beauty that uh, that God hopes to bring out of that situation and stuff. And and I, to this day, I'm tearing up talking to you about it. I, to this day, am amazed by that. I'm amazed that by just being angry and in the face of a, a tragedy, that it, there can still be something beautiful about that. And I don't know, take it or leave it. People might go to that place and not see anything like that. But man, that that stands out to me. Uh, if you're ever in Colorado, I'll take you there. It's, a, <laughs> it's definitely funny, man. But,
1: Yeah. Well, that's powerful, man. You know, it's uh, and thank you for sharing. I mean, uh, you know, it's like when you go through and you think you've got problems, and then it sh- shift perspective and you realize your problems oh, and yeah. nothing, you know. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I worry, you know, I mean, with about my children as they get older, it seems it tends to be less. I've noticed on all of them, up until the age of six or seven. I'm constantly like thinking, "Oh, I'm trying to put the the doubts and the worries and the fears to side, because mm. they're there and they're there daily." Um, and then obviously the eight, nine, ten, eleven it tends to dissipate a little bit. But yeah, it's uh, I can't even begin to imagine what your sister went through. So uh,
0: mm. yeah,
1: I'm, I'm I'm sorry for the for the loss of it, but thank you for sharing that. So, yeah,
0: yeah, I think the most amazing thing about that is she she had another little boy a couple of years later, and like the kind of mom she is to her son, you would think that she would be like an overly anxious. I don't know like, who could blame her. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> like okay. Jumping at every little thing, you know, trying to try to take perfect care of this perfect little baby boy, but the the love that she has in her heart and, and the ability to, to, I don't know, to still have that memory. It's not like she's forgotten her daughter, but mm-hmm. to still have that memory and, and to move forward as a mom powerfully is, uh, it's an awesome Testament to the human spirit. So. Uh, yeah, I just I stay amazed about that whole thing.
1: Cool, man. Cool. Okay, so we changed tack a little bit here. We're going to look into the future, your future. Yeah. So, so what would be the the craziest and most exciting thing for you to be experiencing? You can go five, ten years, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Hmm. Uh,
0: I think. I guess we've been talking a lot about family and kids through this particular piece so i two things come to mind one someday i hope i meet a guy who's been following my work for a year and says man you changed my life here's how my son's better because of it here's how my family's better because of it like this is who i was and here i am now they're not a client i don't i don't know you you haven't like paid me to to help you transform your life or anything you just find me on the street and tell me that You know i want to hear that someday like that would be the craziest coolest most amazing thing from a working perspective and then i think uh, the other thing is watching my boys become the men i raise them to be at some point when i go man you're that guy like (laughs) high five man like it, at some point, that's going to happen, and that's probably more like twenty years down the road. Maybe thirty if they're as slow as I was about the whole. Thing.
1: <laughs> but they got to jump, have not they? They got to jump on where you are.
0: I, I hope so. I you hope got a massive stupid. jump.
1: You got a self-aware father. Yeah. You know.
0: That's the hope, man.
1: <laughs> no man, just uh, you. Just got to keep keep trucking, as they say in it, and keep doing what you're doing. Because uh, yeah, you 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 don't know what you don't know, and that that might already be the case that there's somebody out there who's like, you was changed. Mm. You just need that verbal to verbally hear it, like you say. But, you know, you could, now I could... Need to
0: bump into them on the street. <laughs> I don't I don't know where I'm going to bump into them at. It's not like I walk down the street very I run on the street pretty often. It, maybe I'll be like a Forrest Gump thing. You know that scene where like he just takes off running? He, like, looks back and there's that whole crowd, you know, like, maybe, maybe at some point I'll be running and I'll turn around and be like, who's that guy? And he's like, hey, I've been trying to catch you. <laughs> I have something to tell you. You're the defining ad Gabon guy, right? You're like, yeah.
1: Do you know if that actually happens? Though, you have to get back in touch because I'd love to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> you,
0: got you got I'll take a selfie with him and post it. And like, I talked about this.
1: You know, something's going to happen now. You said that, don't you? Because you've just envisaged it.
0: Yeah, oh God. Like gonna listen to
1: this. They're like, where do you live? I'm gonna find you. <laughs> uh brilliant. Oh brilliant. Okay, well thank you very much for the day. Um could you tell my audience where they can find you and on what platforms?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I'm I'm all over the internet because not a lot of people are talking about DadBod. bod. So um, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm there. Uh, definingdadbod.com is probably the easiest hub to find me at. I've also got uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram of the same name at Defining And then uh, I do a couple different things. I do coaching for people who need coaching. You can find all that information there. I also have rewards for patrons. So how I pay for my podcast and how I uh, give like rewards and stuff to the people who are supporting the movement Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash defining dad cool man
1: so thank you for listening today i hope you enjoyed it my name is joel ingram and i am a certified nlp coach i help passionate resourceful and professional people feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Alex, thank you very much for your time today. Much appreciated. I've had a, I've had a great a great time talking to you. And it's been yeah, great to same, you. same
0: to you, Joel. You got a bunch of stuff out of me that nobody's gotten out of me on here, <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> Good.
1: Good. <laughs> That's cool. I'm gonna, well, I'm going to go and... Um, Subscribe to your channel now and check out this uh, this sleep one. When's this sleep one coming out?
0: Uh, the sleep one will be out next week. So we, we put a new show out every Monday, and uh, I have a few interviews and stuff coming out later. And we'll continue the exercise in the brain series. But I figured I, I told my wife, I'm like I'm sleep deprived. I've been meaning to talk about this for a while. I can't I can't help but love the irony. Like I'm about to tell people how to sleep well while being sleep deprived. So. Yeah. Uh, had a grand old time and my poor sound editor is going to have to cut out a whole bunch of rabbit trails. So <laughs> hopefully it'll be listenable, <laughs> but that'll be out next week on iTunes. And then I also published that on the defining dad bod page. So if you're on the newsletter, it comes out like a blog.
1: Oh, cool, man. So you've got loads of different touch points then. You got it. That's cool, man. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. What's the plan now?
0: Uh, well, I'm going to, let's see, I've got a client in an hour. She's in Texas. She's like 70, but she makes most 30-year-olds look silly. So I'm going to coach her. She's a fantastic client, uh, runs a, runs an awesome business and stuff. So uh, taking care of her in an hour. Between now and then, I'm going to go see what, if the wife needs some help with the three-week-old. I'm going to get a snack. I'm going to go for a walk because I'm low on steps. Well, <laughs> I shall leave you to it on that note. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care, Joel. Keep kicking butt and keep taking names, brother. Thank you, Alex. All the best.